I invite you now to take your Bibles, brothers and sisters, as we open the Scriptures in the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 24. We will read Luke 24, verse 1, and all the way through 35. Uh, 24, verse 1 to 12 is the actual story of the resurrection, uh, but the text for the focus for this morning is verse 13 to 35. That's the story of uh, Jesus meeting these two men on the way to Emmaus. Uh, so we will read chapter 24, verse 1 to, to 35. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found a stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose, and he ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what happens. And verse 13 is the beginning of the text for the preaching. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And he talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? That the one whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
And, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would, go, would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that they took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. This far the word of God. In response to the preaching, um, we will sing hymn 30, stanzas 1 and 4. Hymn 30, verse 1 and verse 4. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, on this Easter morning, we praise God for the great news that Jesus is alive. We celebrate this, this marvelous reality that death is not the end of life. It was not for Jesus. It was not for all the people that have died through the centuries who trusted in him. And it will not be for those who believe in Jesus as their savior today. Death is not the end of life. This morning, we will see the breakthrough of this fantastic news for two men who meet Jesus on the third day after he had died. As they were traveling on foot, to a small village a few miles outside of Jerusalem. It's a great story. It's a story that throughout the centuries has inspired artists to visualize several moments. Yes, a great story. At the same time, if, if you read this story within the overall picture of, of all that is happening on the first day of the week, it, it almost seems kind of Useless. I mean, it doesn't contribute too much to what Jesus is after on this day. Why would Jesus have these men travel all the way to Emmaus with, with them without telling him who he is? Only to have them go back again late in the evening. It's several hours walking. Why does Jesus wait so long 
with revealing himself to these men. And when they finally recognize him, he disappears. He doesn't explain anything. He doesn't give any instructions. There's no opportunity to ask any questions. How helpful is that? And then to top it all off, and then they come back to Jerusalem late that night to share the great news that Jesus is alive. It's kind of superfluous. It comes too late. By then, the apostles have been convinced already that Jesus is risen. Simon Peter has seen him. What the women had told them earlier on that day has been confirmed. It's true. Now, the experience of these two men was interesting and, and exciting for themselves, but in Jerusalem, it's no longer needed. And yet, there are a few aspects in this story that make it important to be told, also today. Some aspects that make it an encouraging story for you and me. Now, of course, Jesus could have done right away, early in the morning, what he is doing in verse 36, appearing to all the disciples, but that was late in the evening. He doesn't do that early in the morning. All day long, Jesus is working on his program to prepare his disciples to be his witnesses in the world. And this, what's happening in the part we have read, is part of it. The risen Christ prepares his witnesses. That's the message this morning. The risen Christ prepares his witnesses. We first look at the stranger who shows up in the story. And then we pay some attention to the Bible study that is going on. And then we will look at the end at the recognition. So the risen Christ prepares his witnesses, the stranger, the Bible study, the recognition. Congregation, when Jesus was buried on what we know was Good Friday, after he died on the cross, the mood among his followers was pretty gloomy. They were sad, downcast. It's over. The master is dead. You have a funeral. You go home after the funeral. That's it. Now, and these were not only the 11 disciples, the core group, so to speak, but also a larger group of men and women with them. Perhaps Luke includes among them also the, the 70 or 72 of people that had been traveling and working for Jesus. The next few days, they do seek each other's company to grieve together, to encourage each other. They have so many memories to share, but it's all very disappointing. First day, second day, third day. The future without Jesus looks bleak. Then on the third day, strange and confusing messages come trickling in. Early that morning, a group of women found Jesus' tomb empty, and they claimed to have seen two angels. Angels gave them the message that Jesus had risen. They even referred to things Jesus himself had said earlier. What do you do with stories women come up with? 
I mean, women get all excited and emotional and get carried away. No, no, no. They don't believe them. They don't believe them. Their words seem to them like nonsense. Don't get your hopes up, men. It doesn't make any sense. And then our story begins. That same day, two of them were traveling to a village called Emmaus. Sometime on that day, when these first rumors started floating around and being dismissed as nonsense, idle tales, two of them decided to leave Jerusalem for their hometown, Emmaus. Two of them. That means that if they did that means they did belong to Jesus' loyal followers, but they were not part of the core group of 11. First of all, the name of one of them, Cleopas, verse 18, is not one of the 12. But also it says in verse 33 that they returned and found the 11 and those with them. So these men were probably part of the wider circle that I mentioned earlier. They're disappointed. After everything that has happened, they just don't feel like hanging around in Jerusalem any longer. Perhaps they should have. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was still going on. But they had enough of it. All their expectations had failed. Jesus is dead. Let's go home, they said to each other. We might as well. Now, we know nothing about Emmaus, by the way. The Bible says it was a small village, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. Which would be a walk of two and a half Probably about three hours. Today we no longer know the exact location of Emmaus. And of course, all the events of the last days are fresh on their minds. And naturally, that's what they're talking about. They talk about everything that has happened. Remember Jesus' teaching? Oh yes, we learned so much from him. And remember all those folks that Jesus has healed? And then the time that he called Zacchaeus out of that tree? Man, I still can't believe what they have done to Jesus. It is so upsetting. And then you think of these Romans, think of this pilot, the crook. And the conversation, when you read the story, the conversation gets pretty intense. It actually sounds a bit like they get into kind of an argument. It says in verse 15, they talked and reasoned. But elsewhere in the New Testament, the second word translated here as reasoned is often translated as argued. And, and perhaps they, they raise their voices a bit. And as all this is going on, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows up. Really, Jesus shows up. And, and Jesus joins them. He doesn't say where he came from. But all of a sudden, he's there. It's actually the first time in the book of Luke that we meet the risen Savior. And I say, we meet him. Because at this point, only we, as readers of the story, know who this stranger is. For these two unhappy travelers, he's nothing more than just that, a stranger. And a pretty impertinent stranger. 
The man doesn't mind his own business. Here's the surprise. They did not recognize him. Now we don't have to think that after his resurrection, Jesus' physical appearance had changed to the point that he had become unrecognizable. Um, If that would be the case, he would not have been able to convince his followers that they were seeing the Lord. No, as Jesus' disciples, they were familiar with him. They were familiar with his face, his voice, and mannerisms. We have no reason to believe that all those things have changed at the resurrection. When we arise on the last day, God will give you back your own body. It will be a glorified body, but it's going to be your own body. Now, this is what's happening here. Their eyes were restrained. God has blindfolded them, so to speak. Jesus is right there, but they don't see him for who he is. And by nature, that's true for all of us. By nature, we are blindfolded. I mean, when people don't see Jesus for who he is, that that doesn't mean that they are not smart enough. No, they are blind. You, you, you have these conversations sometimes with people that are unbelievers and you try to, to explain who Jesus is. Right? And, and you think by yourself, if I explain well enough and clear enough how Jesus is and how important Jesus is, people will get it. But you can't say that. God has to come, God has to open our eyes to recognize Jesus and to see Jesus for who he is who he is for us in his suffering and his death and resurrection. Well, the stranger that joins these two men overhears the conversation, and he asks, what are you arguing about? What are you guys talking about? This is such an unexpected question. It stops them in their tracks. They turn to him with a sad and also a puzzled look on their faces, What planet are you from, stranger? How can anybody who has been in Jerusalem for only a few days not know? It sounds a bit rude, actually, the way this Cleopas puts it. But remember, for them, he is just a curious uh, stranger. And and there are also some, some humorous aspects here. Right? Imagine the situation. Here is Jesus, and he knows all about it. He was there from beginning to end, and he's just playing along. Um, things that have recently happened in Jerusalem? What kind of things? About Jesus of Nazareth? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth? Who's that? Tell me a bit more about it. Can you imagine that Jesus had to be careful not to give it away? Perhaps he had to hide a smile. Anyway, the strangest question triggers the whole story. They seem eager to share everything with this interested fellow traveler. We get an overview of all the events that have shocked and affected them so much. As complete as possible in a few sentences. They even mentioned this weird story of some women early that morning, the story of the empty tomb. And to add to that, 
that Jesus' tomb was empty was confirmed when some of our men went to have a look, they say. It all sounds mysterious. And it may raise lots of questions. But the fact of the matter is that no one has seen Jesus. No one has seen Jesus alive. And it's all disappointing. We had this strong hope, they say, we had these high expectations that through him God would bring salvation, save his people Israel. Forget it. Forget it. Jesus is dead. It's all futile. We've given up the hope that he was the one who was going to save his people. In unbelief, they dismissed the whole idea of Jesus' resurrection. For these two men, Jesus is dead. And so is their faith. So is their trust in him. Now, we might think that this would be a good moment for Jesus to reveal himself. To make himself known. To open the eyes of his disappointed followers. There would be a good moment to say, hey, friends, guess what? It's me. It's Jesus. I'm alive. It's true. Look at me. It's me. I told you so. Don't be sad anymore. But he doesn't do that. He does not comfort them. He does not encourage them. And that's all part of Jesus' program to prepare them as witnesses on this first day. Because Jesus is looking for people that will be able to give a reliable testimony. Not only of the facts of his suffering and death, also the fact of his resurrection. And, and this is what he is going to work on even more before he will let himself be recognized. For that's the kind of testimony that the church will need in the time to come. That's the kind of testimony that the church was in need of for the next centuries. That's the kind of testimony that you and I will need. And so they, they must learn to connect their own experiences with the Bible, with the Scriptures, with the Word of God. Their eyes must be opened. They must come to acknowledge that what happened, all the things that left them so sad and upset, is in accordance with God's will. In accordance with the Scriptures of God. What we call today the Old Testament. And so what Jesus is saying in response to their story, is not very comforting. He's admonishing them. He refutes what they tell them. He corrects them, and he does not do that in a very meek manner or sympathetic manner. For a stranger, remember, that's what he still is for these men, for a stranger, he's pretty rough. You are a bunch of fools, he says. Yeah? Imagine walking, telling the story, stranger comes, you are a bunch of fools. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have talked about. Come on, he says, don't you know your Bible? Don't you remember what for centuries the prophets have been saying? They must learn to understand the scriptures, God's holy word. You know, brothers and sisters, that's the way to find out about Jesus. God's promised Savior. And what you can expect from Him. 
not only about the Old Testament saying about his glorious kingdom, but also what it says about his suffering and about his death. People have all kinds of ideas about Jesus. People have all kinds of expectations about Jesus. The world, the, the, the Christian world is full of that. But the only way to find out is going to the scriptures. Submit to the word. And so what is Jesus going to do? What's his first priority when he meets up with these men on the first day of Easter? He's going to read the Bible with them. He's going to show them that Jesus did not fail in everything that had happened. He's going to show that all these things had to happen. That it was necessary to happen. And their expectations were wrong. How is he going to do that? He says, listen carefully. Listen carefully. God the Father wrote this book, the Bible. And it's all about Jesus. And as they're walking along, something fascinating is happening. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is, this is fabulous. The expression Moses and the prophets is a traditional expression that covers the whole Old Testament. And so in a methodical, a systematic way, he goes through the whole Bible. All the scriptures, it says. Starting in the beginning, in Genesis. Look here, Genesis 3 verse 15. The promise of the Savior. It's about Jesus. And then Abraham. Through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. That's through Jesus. And what about the miraculous birth of Isaac? Think of Joseph, from rags to riches, from slave and prisoner to savior of God's people. Do you recognize Jesus? And here, Exodus, Moses, he saved God's people from bondage and brought them into freedom. Do you see Jesus? Read about the blood of the Passover lamb, shed, and then painted on the doorpost. To save the lives of the firstborn of God's people. Remember how Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. And here, the next book, Leviticus. Look at all those sacrifices. All the bloodshed for the forgiveness of the sins of God's people. Remember Jesus' sacrifice. Think of the ceremonies on the Day of Atonement. All these things point at Jesus. And on and on he goes. This remarkable stranger. He talks about David, the king who was promised his son to reign on his throne forever. David, who sings about that in many of the Psalms. And when he turns to the prophets, he shows them Isaiah, who prophesied about the virgin giving birth to his son, the name Emmanuel. And about the branch from the trunk of Jesse. And he showed them the prophetic message about the painful suffering of the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 53. And there is so much more. You can look for Jesus on almost every page of the Bible. He's everywhere. Have a close look. You'll find him. It's like, it's like, it's like these Where is Waldo books. You remember those? Where is Waldo? Perhaps they're still in the library of your school for the lower grades. Where is Waldo? You've got these big pages, drawings with hundreds of little people. And you have to find Waldo in the crowds. Tons of fun. Kids can scan the page. Look, I got him. There he is. I found him. 
Some children get very good at it. Sometimes when they're a little bit younger, you have to help them. Well, here Jesus is doing something similar. Work your way through the Scriptures, book by book, and in his case here, the book of the Old Testament, and find Jesus. You can imagine that Cleopas and his friend were hanging on his lips. This was amazing. This, this was the coolest Bible study ever. This stranger, and we know it's Jesus, but they don't. This stranger is teaching them that based on what the Word of God is saying, they could have expected not only Jesus' death on the cross, but even his resurrection. What a marvelous way of doing Bible study. Imagine walking on the road, traveling with Jesus, and hear him teach. Wouldn't that be great? Look here, look there, read this passage. It's all about me, your crucified and risen Savior. Well, in this earthly life, you and I won't walk on the road with Jesus. We don't meet him on the streets of our towns. That's okay. What Jesus Christ is doing here is teaching us how to read the Bible and how to do this great Bible study here and now. This is the key question to begin with. What is the Bible all about? And people have given many different answers throughout the centuries, and they still do today. Many different answers. There's only one answer. The Bible is not, first of all, a religious book about morality. It's not, first of all, a religious book about rules and advices for living a good Christian life. The Bible is all about Jesus Christ. The Bible is not, first of all, a religious book about you and me, about us, and what we have to do to make life better and to make the world a better place. The Bible is all about Jesus Christ. And only in that way, only if you see that, and only if you use it for that purpose, then the Bible becomes a book for us. Then the Bible becomes a book that connects all that we learn about Jesus' death and resurrection, connects with us, with our lives, with our salvation, with our Christian living, with our hope for the future. So that's what Jesus is telling us to do. This is his first priority on the day of his resurrection. And so it should be our priority. Do you want to see the risen Christ? Do you want to meet your living Savior and what he did for you? Sit down. Read and study the Bible, says Jesus. It's all about me. Page after page after page. Yes, you need to search the scriptures to find Jesus, to find your Savior. To find him as the one who suffered and died, who buried and became alive again, victorious over sin and death. As I mentioned before, we are spiritually blind. By nature, we are. We are spiritually blind until God opens our eyes. And it is through teaching the Word that He does that. That's the way He operates. 
It is through teaching the word that blind eyes are opened. God wrote a book. And it is this book. And it is not primarily about you and me. It's all about Jesus Christ. Be in the word. And look for Jesus. Open the scriptures. And meet your savior. And if you have family or friends that don't know Jesus. And they don't get it. This whole idea of Jesus' death and resurrection, open the word for them and show it just as Jesus did to these travelers in Emmaus, for the power is in the word. Does it help? Does it work? Here in this story, does it change these two men? Does it remove their unbelief? Interestingly, Luke doesn't say anything about it which gives at least the impression that they might still be a bit skeptical. But something is changing. When they come close to Emmaus, Jesus puts them to the test. If they think that what he has been saying is the same nonsense as what they heard from the women earlier, they will say goodbye to him and let him continue his journey. But here is a different attitude. Somehow they are intrigued fascinated by this remarkable stranger. They want to learn more. And when they are about to part ways, the two men urge him to be their guest and have dinner with them. Something or someone is working in their hearts. When they get into the house, They show so much respect for this unknown stranger that they ask him to act as the host at the dinner table. That was a big honor. They didn't even know who they had under their roof. So as they are about to share a meal, he takes the bread, thanks God for his blessings, breaks the bread and gives it to them. And by the way, that was the normal task of the father of the family. Yeah? Ask for a blessing, thank God, break the bread and hands it out. It's a normal task for the father of the family or another one who would be a host. These people were used to that in their daily meals, so it has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper, as some have suggested. And then it happens. Here's the climax. God had blindfolded them when Jesus joined them on the road, And now God opens their eyes. They see Jesus. All of a sudden they recognize Jesus in their fellow traveler, in their guest at the supper table. God has used the unusual Bible study on the road to prepare his witnesses by changing the hearts of these men. And now he lifts the veil. He takes off the cover. We need that. We need that. We need God to come to take off the cover. Because we are spiritually blind until God opens our eyes. And at the same moment, Jesus disappears. That must have been so weird. Think of that. Must have been so weird. Wait a minute. Now we know who you are. Hey, where did he go? 
He's gone. It was an awesome moment, but only for a split second. They don't know, and neither do we, why and how and where Jesus went. Apparently, he did not need to stay any longer for the purpose for which he had come. Was it a dream? No, it wasn't. They've seen Jesus. He was there. He really was. They're sitting there with the pieces of bread still in their hands. They knew for sure Jesus was dead. They have been at the funeral. And now he was here. He's alive. He arose from the dead. They've seen him. They've talked to him. The risen Christ got his witnesses. Yes, Jesus' resurrection is for real, my brother and my sister, boys and girls. It's for real. Today, liberal theology wants you to believe that Jesus arose only in some spiritual way in the minds of the people. That's utter nonsense. He arose physically. He really did. Some spiritual resurrection. Duh. Look at him. He was walking. He was talking. He was teaching. He was eating. These men were so excited. And perhaps somewhat puzzled. I mean, Jesus let them walk all the way to Emmaus. Listens to the skepticism. Does the Bible study. Shows who he is. It disappears. There's no instruction. Leave it up to them what to do next. But the excitement wins. Wow, now we know what we were feeling in our hearts when he was talking to us, when he was leading our Bible study. The power of the risen Christ was touching our hearts. It is so super amazing to see the deep meaning of the Bible fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now they have seen Jesus as he really is and what he did and what he came for. Brothers and sisters, let this be your deep joy as we celebrate Easter. Jesus is alive. The dark powers of death and destruction could no longer hold him. Open the scriptures, be in the word, and you will meet him, touching your heart so that it burns with the fire of the Holy Spirit for Him, for your Lord, for your Master. It's through the Bible that God opens the blind eyes also today. They were so excited. They need to share it with Jesus' other followers. As far as they know, in Jerusalem, the folks are still in limbo. So they, so they get up, they return immediately to Jerusalem. Another three hours walk. But they don't care. This is the greatest news ever. Everybody must hear this. Oh, and as it turns out, they come in Jerusalem. The others know already. In the meantime, Jesus has appeared to Simon Peter. Now, does that dampen their joy? Oh, we could have all stayed home. No, 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 of course not. The folks in Jerusalem and the men from Emmaus, they share what they have experienced. They rejoice together as ear and eye witnesses of the living Jesus Christ. They marvel together in the glorious and victorious power, in the goodness and the grace and in the love of God, who is the God of life. This comforting and encouraging picture will be in their minds forever. Jesus proved himself to be the giver of life. He was, he is, and he will always be the one who takes care of his children, 
who takes care of, of, of you and me and each and every one of us. No, today you and I, we will not see him with our own eyes. Not yet. But you can trust him as the giver of life that will never be destroyed again forever and ever. Amen.